You're listening to DraftKings Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take your business to the next level. Shopify is the commerce platform that makes it easy to show up and sell exactly the way you want to. No need to code or design. Sign up for your $1 per month trial period today. Visit shopify.com slash offer 23 to get started. Am I a fucking idiot? Why did I, why did I think that Tampa Bay Lightning weren't going to win one game? Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Nikita Kucherov? Are you kidding? Andre Vasilevsky? Are you kidding? The Toronto Maple Leafs? I thought they were going to sweep. I thought they were going to win one. And then you have the Mel- – where do we even begin? <laughs> do we begin with the officiating discourse, the Michael Bunting pre-discourse, and then what actually happened? Do we begin with now Leafs fans are saying at least sweep us so we don't have to take it to seven games, which I respect. I don't know. I don't even know where to begin. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Too Many Men podcast. This is your beginnings of sleep-deprived playoff coverage, but we love it. Um, And of course, I am thrilled to be joined by, and we kind of kept this a little quiet, friends, because we were protecting our emotional health, but happy, happy, happy reunited cat mom, Sarah Sivian. Sarah you had a little bit of distress while your cat decided to take a walkabout around your neighborhood um, and somehow managed to still provide. I just love your game coverage because it's like nobody else. You always take an angle no one expects and teach us something and entertain us. So you were crushing it while waiting for your sweet Rangoon to come back. How are you? Oh, yeah, I'm exhausted, but I finally got to sleep last night because she, after doing everything, every minute I wasn't at the rink, I was just looking for her. She left when I was away this weekend and every, I have like a cat lady that lives across from me and she was just saying, she's going to come back. Don't worry. This happens to me all the time. I've never had a cat before, so I didn't know how common it was, but at one in the morning today, she, I just heard some meowing and she was just there like nothing had happened. I'm like, I've been dying and crying over you every second, but She's back and she's all good. Well, we're so happy for you and for Rangoon. She knows where she should be. And it's very wonderful for us here at Too Many Men and all of us who love you. So, yay. Uh, We would not be Too Many Men without someone who is just literally a resource for all things hockey, particularly playoff coverage, putting out even new content today that I am just taking in every single word of. If you have a question, if you need to know what's going on, you go to our very own Shana Goldman. Shana, say hi. Hi. Can uh, we give a nice shout out for the first time ever in 2 event history to the NHL schedulers because these staggered starts are giving me life. I feel like I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm overwhelmed. I feel like I've taken in so much of the games already without like, even with the small bit of overlap, it's totally okay. Uh, this is how it needs to be in the regular season because like, my brain does not feel like it's overloaded through two days. I feel fucking good. And it's because Woo! the games are, you're actually able to watch everything. I don't feel like I'm playing catch up. It's amazing. So NHL schedulers, I know you're listening because we have a uh, beef. Everyone does. Yes. Yeah. Shana, Everyone but, listens to me. We got to talk about this. You're only supposed to say hi. You're taking I know, some- but I'm so, I'm so <laughs> energized by this. I've been waiting for this moment. The fact that we had a seven and a seven thirty and nine thirty and a 10. Come on. We got to. We have to speak. All right. Well, Shayna has spoken. We might need a new segment. 
We need, we need, we need, how does this affect Rod Brindamore? And now we have a Shana has spoken segment. (laughs) Um, But before we get to Sarah's Rod Brindamore segment, which is still percolating, we might get there. Uh, We are going to go to Sarah's very favorite other segment. And Sarah, what time is it? They don't news. It is time for bit O news. This is very, very exciting. Again, it is playoffs. So things are happening at a rapid fire pace. As you know, we will bring you content every Tuesday and Thursday, recording on Monday and Wednesday. So just know that about our frame of reference when we're talking. But let's just share some quick news. Um, We did want to mention, if you are interested in this narrative, you've probably already read or heard 16 versions of it. So we're not going to go into it. Um, But the Matt Dumba hit on Joe Pavelski, obviously, we just want to note that Pavs being out as of Wednesday morning, he was not in the lines for morning skate. Um, that is a big blow to Dallas. We hope he gets better soon. Um, Sarah, you are covering the Bruins for all of us lucky readers and tweeters. Big news coming out of Boston here. There was a flu bug that was running through the team. And so when Patrice Bergeron did not play in game one, we assumed it was that. But he is not playing in game two. And there's a different update. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, well, we didn't assume it was that. They told us it was that. And I still think... He had had he'd been maintaining um, an injury that hasn't been that serious uh, from the end of the season. And they like kept him in and taken him out and things like that for precautionary reasons, whatever that really does mean. You know what I mean? But he did have a stomach bug unless people everyone's lying to me. But he did in game one. And now he's done with that. But then they're like, okay, I mean. I'm we're all jumping to conclusions here. And if you look at every Bruins reporters mentions, it's like 17 different takes all over the place. But I do think if they lose tonight, they'll probably put him in. I'm not sure if it's a reoccurring, not reoccurring. What's it called? Um, like when it comes like the injuries coming back, like an aggravated. Yeah. Yeah. Aggravated. Yeah. We have words here. We're all writers. We're really good at this. I'm getting my brain cells back after focusing on my cat. But anyway, um, I'm not sure if it's an aggravation of what he was dealing with, but I think it's fair to assume that it is right. And they're probably like, I mean, they were so not dominant. They weren't that dominant in their five on five play over the Panthers in game one, but they just are so talented and deep that it worked out. So that's why I'm like, I don't know if they keep him out of the playoff game for precautionary reasons, but it might be just day to day. It is day to day. So we'll leave it at that. Shana, to Sarah's point, uh, with all due respect, if there's an opponent that barely got into the postseason and one that maybe it is worth taking a risk of keeping a star player like Bergeron out to get healthy for perhaps some more meaningful games down the stretch, this might be it. Uh, What is your take on the impact of Patrice Bergeron not being in the lineup? And should they hold him out if this is about trying to get him healthier for later games in this postseason? Yeah, like we know players are willing to play through anything and Bergeron's is no exception to that. You look at his past in the postseason, what he has battled through, there's no need for it right now. This team is so deep. Pavel Zaka is handling the role, you know, moving up uh, as the top line center. You have the versatility in your lineup. You have the depth because if you move someone who's on the wing up to center, like they have the forwards to put on that second line wing now. They they have this really well-rounded lineup. If something changes and, you know, somehow the Bruins felt their backs were going up against the wall, it's a different conversation to have. Have, like how ready is Bergeron at that moment in time but until then you really don't need to like the thing with it was in game one as much as the Bruins like the Bruins were not the 
the best team through two periods. They had some like really great lateral plays in line, came up with the saves. In the third period, the way they shut down play, which is what you expect Bergeron to be a huge part of, right? They managed that without him. That was the most impressive part to me. They really controlled the pace in the third period and protected their lead. They did that without Bergeron. Just keep rolling that way. Excellent. All right. The other piece of news that we have, and uh, I was working last night, so I was only able to take in um, recaps and as much as I've been able to devour this morning on the other games on the docket Tuesday night. But I did look at this. I don't know if I'm happy I did, but... In the Winnipeg-Vegas series game one, Morgan Barron in a net front kind of collapse battle of bodies takes Brassois' skate to his face, gets 75 stitches, and then comes back to finish the game. I have to imagine that is not going to be one pretty mug this morning with as the swelling and bruising kind of takes hold. We are not one to glorify injuries for the sake of taking injuries. And we're also very careful about doing the old tough hockey player narrative. But this was shocking on like 18 different levels. Sarah, when did you find out what was going on in this game? I don't know if you're able to watch it live. And what what is your take on Morgan Barron getting injured, 75 stitches and coming back? I know. I'm. There's two schools of thought when it comes to this, right? Like that's hockey. That's why we love hockey. And then... No, he should be out for the rest of the season. And I think I fall somewhere in between, if I'm being honest. It's his decision. If he wants to go back, it's playoff hockey. This is what, like, you can't understand that unless you have grown up wanting to play. And obviously there is something to say about the culture that allows it to happen. But since it's allowing it to happen, like, don't get mad at the player. Um, And it is badass. I mean, I'm just going to say, I don't, I wouldn't encourage doing that, but I do think, well, he did it. I mean, that's really impressive and shows his heart, even if it's not safe or a good idea. You have to hope and and trust that team doctors did say it was okay to return to the ice with the injury. And, you know, often this is kind of one of those things where sometimes if you're going to play, it's right after it, actually, because... There might be a lot more pain, as I mentioned, in the days to follow. And that's going to be a gnarly, gnarly scar. Shayna, what was your take on this insane situation? Yeah, like the adrenaline, I'm sure, is flowing. So it's a little bit easier to hop back and play versus like the next morning waking up and just feeling it. Uh, It was such a chaotic play right there. And like the focus when I was first watching it was on the saves Brassois was making and the desperation of the defenders to keep the puck out of the neck because that you know, off the bat, it was so early in the game, but on that replay, you see Baron grabbing his face in the blood everywhere, which was like so gruesome. Uh, when you hear a player gets like 15, 20 stitches and comes back into the game, it's like, wow, holy shit. 75, like the perspective of that, that was just so nuts. It's so unfortunate. And this is like what I think we need to like keep stressing, like the randomness of hockey and what happens and like how dangerous the sport is, because this was just a freak thing. Uh, it's really good to see that he's okay and that he was able to return. Um, hopefully, yeah, like everyone said it was safe and he was the one that wanted to do it, I'm sure. Uh, but like, my God, kudos to him. That was badass. And that was uh, so unlucky. Hopefully we don't see any more injuries like that. I hate it. Yes. I hate please. when it's like that, where it's just it's unlucky and bad luck absolutely i hate anything with like players getting cut by skates and like yeah, there are I things just, that are unavo- it's, yeah like what and you know everyone always is always like well, what should we do to avoid that like you, you really can't unless you put them in like a bubble and like a, like literally here you are in like a chain mail outfit like they're not gonna be able to move that's just 
really bad luck. I, I did see like one or two lone tweets coming out being like, this is why they should wear cages. I was like, oh boy, here we no, go. No, no, don't start. We don't, don't need Sometimes, that. We don't need that. I know. I Sometimes know, with know. our discourse, and we mean it with the best intentions when we say things like this, right? But it's, this is the one time I'll say you haven't played the game. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. don't players don't want to wear a cage for a reason. And yeah, I just think like, if you haven't played the game, maybe you don't know the full extent as to why. You do have to like, figure out the law of averages here. Like if, if, if one in 10,000 million plane flights crash, does that mean we stop flying planes? Like there's, there's something to be yeah. said for that too. All right, let's move on to our most controversial segment. Folks, even when you ask us to not, like they demand it. They command the universe. We love <laughs> the universe decides we have to talk about the leaves. They're the center of the universe. We cannot help it. <laughs> As for a boring game, as for as for as for the team to become boring, it'll never happen. It is time for as Shayna shared. How does this affect the Leafs? If you are living under a rock, you are not aware that first and foremost, the rematch, rematch, rematch of Tampa Bay Toronto has been written in basically stone for months. We knew this was coming. Going into this series, Toronto is the home team. Tampa Bay is limping into the postseason. Their head coach is talking about how they're not necessarily mentally checked in. Tampa Bay goes into Toronto and promptly hangs seven on the Leafs. There are so many narratives here, my friend. There is, of course, the bunting hit on Chernak, uh, who leaves the game. Bunting has a hearing, um, and as we record, there is no update on that. Uh, Victor Hedman leaves the game and did not return. He was seen in the tunnel greeting his teammates as they came off the ice after the game. Uh, Samsonov was pulled late in the game. There were 8,000 penalties, which apparently has something to do with now the Leafs are blaming the officials, which you can't necessarily when you're taking, let me double check here, a total of six different penalties in the game. 9,000 narratives. The ultimate fact at the end of the day is that the Leafs could not get it done in perhaps their most heavily favored scenario against the Lightning to date. Sarah, where do we start with this one? Am I a fucking idiot? Why did I Why did I think that Tampa Bay Lightning weren't going to win one game? Like, are you kidding? Are you kidding? Nikita Kucherov? Are you kidding? Andre Vasilevsky? Are you kidding? The Toronto Maple Leafs? I thought they were going to sweep. I thought they were going to win one. And then you have the, where do we even begin? <laughs> do we begin with the officiating discourse, the Michael Bunting pre-discourse, and then what actually happened? Do we begin with now Leafs fans are saying at least sweep us so we don't have to take it to seven games, which I respect. I don't know. I don't even know where to begin. Okay, Shana, where do you want to begin? Pick one. Pick any of those topics. Seriously, pick one. Oh, my God. Um... Okay, before we get to bunting. No, no, no. You let's talk about the lightning. lightning. Okay, let's talk about the lightning. Let's, let's talk about let's the lightning right now. Let's do it. Okay, the lightning, people, like, I, so someone, like, in the comments, I saw immediately, like, I did a quick scan, and they were like, oh, the lightning stumbled into the playoffs with, like, 98 points. Listen, they did. 
The end of the season wasn't good. This team really like was struggling to break even in expected goals. The results were even worse. We all saw this team limp into the playoffs, whether you want to go by the numbers of them not being good or the narratives of like, did they just get on their heels because they knew they were in? Whatever it is, right? They are alive. They're alive and well. They are here to play and they are here to play through injuries. This is with this series, as much as one can be the better team than the other, like, by the numbers and be the better team. There is this like will over skill that we have to ask if the Leafs learned from the lightning last postseason, right? Like that's, that was the difference. Allison, I remember you even saying like, this is not the narrative you ever go for, but that was the difference in like game six or seven. And you see it like they're getting dealt a shitty hand, the lightning, they lose Victor Hedman, they lose Chernak, uh, Mikey Isimont got hurt on top of it. It just like, isn't ideal for them in any which way. And the Leafs started to come back and the Lightning were like, we're not fucking dead yet. And just took the game, you know, took control of it. That's that's huge. Not only are they not no, 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 dead, no. they're they scored seven goals. So let's try and break this down somehow. This is all very, very insane. Sarah, you were talking about this on Twitter this morning. The West Macaulay discourse. The Leafs fans have somehow decided that the only reason their team lost is because the officials hate their team. Like, honestly, can we talk about the fact that you let the other team score two even strength goals to start the game before there's even a power play goal or a penalty called? Like, I get fans being fans, but also, like, control your destiny here, people. What say you to the West Macaulay truth deniers, truthers, whatever we want to call them? Well, they were 501 this season with Wes McCauley officiating. So I don't really know. And I, it was just so funny that this discourse happened. Be- the thing is, there was some trial that Wes McCauley was in. Like hockey people know each other in the hockey world and it is very connected. And why are you just conjuring this up now? And it was right before the game. I like that it wasn't even after the game. It was like, okay. Just in case we lose, we got a reason. We already got the insurance. Let's go. It's Wes McCauley, who is a great official. Like, he is a great official, and he has never, like, had... I mean, everybody has had controversial calls, but, like, we all respect Wes McCauley for his officiating, and he's one of, like, the bright, quirky things about our league. So just the fact that they were already, like, hammering that. And then Michael Bunting does an egregious hit. It's like, no, what do you want Wes McCauley to do about that? Oh, he's biased because Michael Bunting is doing a dirty thing. So I don't even know. Shayna, I think, and I would have to go check. I'm actually keeping track of this because I'm ridiculous. Uh, This might have been the most, yes, it was, um, eight power play opportunities for the Tampa Bay Lightning in this game. That is the most for any team through round one play. Is the conspiracy true or not true? And did Tampa Bay just benefit from Toronto being undisciplined? Yeah, Tampa Bay benefited from Toronto being undisciplined. Now, that's not to say that Tampa was perfect either. There were absolutely missed calls, just as there were in any other series. Look at the wild series. There were cross checks that weren't called, you know, that were super dramatic too. Like people talk about Ryan Suter cross checking Caprice off, if I remember correctly. Like it's going to happen in every series. There's a human element to it. It would be better if it were balanced. But this year, we're seeing a rise in penalties, we're seeing a rise in power play scoring as a result. So it just pushes the need for more discipline. And the Maple Leafs let this game get away from them in so many ways. Like if we look back at it, um, the first period, the Maple Leafs were not very good. They were really cut 
you know, playing from behind and that's what hurt them. And you have a higher propensity of taking penalties when you're playing from behind and you're trying to defend. It feels like the lines, like everything about it, it just like was like a, a, a recipe for chaos for the Leafs. So, you know, do I believe the conspiracy? No. Do I think there could have been more even calls? Yes. Do I think that the Maple Leafs got screwed though? Like, no, come on. Like they screwed themselves by just not playing well. So let's take the penalties off the sheet. Sarah, another thing that happened in this game is that Ilya Samsonov was pulled late in the game. As we record, it is being reported that he will start game two for Toronto. So there's no goalie controversy there yet. But in even strength play, and I'm looking at natural statric, in even strength play, so take the penalties away. The Lightning generated shot quality only worth 1.6 goals, yet they scored three. So there was an opportunity here to keep goals off the board at even strength play, and the team didn't get it done. Now, again, I was not able to watch this game in total, and I would never say that any loss is directly responsible to one player only, but are we talking enough about the goaltending? I liked that Sam Sonov came out and said, I played like shit tonight. Yep, I mean, 100%. Sometimes that's all there is to it. And you'd want that to be all there is to it. Like, I don't, I think he was pretty rattled, honestly. And I think that's what you want if you're the belief, just like not galaxy brain take, but it's like, okay, there's not a million things you need to be better at. And Marner arrived and they were gaining traction at some point. They came back and had a little second or first win, I guess, after they went down three, you know, but they want the goaltending one bad night to be the issue. So, okay. I like that they're starting him again in game two. So we'll see, is that the issue? If it's really an issue, then they're screwed. But if it was just a fluke of like little jitterbugs, right, then that'll be good for them. But I don't know. <laughs> little jitterbugs. Shayna, we talked about the bunting penalty. I think that that was right to be a gamer, uh, to kick him out. We, again, know he's going to have a hearing, which usually implies at least one game suspension to be coming down the pike. Assuming Bunting can't play, he's been a part of that Austin Matthews line this season. Who draws in? There are people speculating, could Matthew Nye see his first postseason action? Yeah, so that was a very unnecessary, very undisciplined play. And for bunting, like if you're the coaches, you have to be super frustrated. Like you're the first liner and a power play scorer out. Um, there, there's a balance between discipline and physical play in the playoffs. And if you can't master that, you are going to miss time. Ask Nazem Kadri, who seems like he figured that out the last year. Yes, you know, things still got a little chaotic from last year, but still. Um so with this, you're going to, it looks like Yarn Croc's going to move up to the first line. And he's been very good at like being this like depth utility player for the Leafs. He can move anywhere in the lineup and be fine. He's a facilitator. He's not going to be the play driver. He doesn't need to be. But like, it's not the only change. So this is where it's going to get interesting. Like we're seeing Ryan O'Reilly now move to the third line. He only played part of a game there and then he got injured. So we haven't seen how he fares on his own in Toronto. We know on the second line, whether it's with Nylander and Marner on his right, plus Tavares on his left, like he's in a great position, but like who among us wouldn't be? That's one of the best combinations you can be in. Now it's going to be, can you manage your own line? Can you drive a line when you don't have as much support? And some of that support, it does look to be Matty and I's. So it's going to be interesting because you have that like veteran two-way presence that should help prop him up, right? But we still have questions about O'Reilly individually and what he's going to do in this environment away from the Blues now carrying his own line. So there's there's a lot of questions to ask. But like the biggest 
thing with like the lineup changes. I still look at the Leafs and I go, do you have too many options? Are you going to over tinker and panic? Like this is going to be, I think the storyline throughout the series, if they lose this game, the question will be, did the coaches do too much? Or maybe did they not do enough on the back end? Cause you still have, I think Shannon Riley sticking together and Justin Hull staying in the lineup. But like, there's definitely between all the moves they made that like chance that the coaches are just panicking and doing too much. But like, that's that's the pressure of the playoffs and it's even higher in Toronto like it came with the territory to that point Sarah let's wrap up this conversation on this game which of course again you guys we're not making this a thing the Leafs are making this a thing um but Shana mentioned you know injuries on the Toronto side we've talked about Chernak being out we talked about Hedman leaving the game and Shana brought up Isamont as well what should the Lightning be concerned about from an injury perspective particularly if Victor Hedman is out of the lineup come game two I mean, I think the ball's in their court right now, and this is this team that they've built, right? I don't think they have to be concerned until they lose a game. It's like the Leafs, and I don't want to say the Leafs are handing it to them on a platter, but they kind of are. Like, it literally, they scored seven goals, so I'm just going to say, hold off on the concerns until you have to worry. Well, friends, we'll try. We'll try not to focus too much on the Leafs, but they're doing it to us, and this is what happens in the postseason, and it's why we love it. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Columbia Sportswear. It's snowing again, and that wind chill is killer. But you're not worried about that because you shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection. It's warmth perfected with tiny gold dots that reflect your body heat inside and protect you from the cold outside. No snow or chilly temps can stop you now. Go out anyway. Shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection now at Columbia.com slash infinity. Jewelry can say many things on your wedding day. As a wedding band, it can say, this is a forever symbol of our forever love. As a gift to your wedding party, it can say, thanks for standing up there with us. Blue Nile can help you find the piece that says it all and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. Let's move on to the bigger picture of the first games. As we record, every series has played at least one game. And, you know, so much is made of home ice advantage. You get the last change. You get the enthusiasm and the emotion of the fans. It used to be considered a bit of a lock, particularly in postseason play. But as of all of the game ones being completed, six of the road teams came away with wins in the eight series being played, which again, I think is particularly impressive because the road teams are losing that ability to really control the matchups that they want and are the lower ranked teams in the matchup. So quote unquote, theoretically are not the stronger team in the matchup. Shayna, do you have any theories yet on why there were so many road team victories in these opening matchups? Honestly, I don't like it was 
there are series that could have gone either way, right? Like Rangers Devils, that's one that we could have seen go either way. You know, the Rangers had the deck stacked against them by the numbers and by the regular season metrics, but we kind of knew like there's a chance that could happen. But then you look at Colorado, Seattle, that's a little bit more surprising. And Winnipeg against the Golden Knights, that's a little bit more surprising too, especially because it wasn't just the Connor Helen book show. He was great, but that's not why the Golden Knights really lost. Um, those are surprising. And it's going to be interesting to see how teams proceed moving forward. Like, you know, like the one that home ice sticks out to me the most would be the Oilers series because on home ice for the Kings, they're going to control the matchups. And we know that means Philip Deneau against one of Leandre Seidel and Connor McDavid Ooh. and Ooh. Leon Jurai Seidel and Connor McDavid and Anze Kopitar against the other in game one. It was Deneau against McDavid. McDavid was better in the matchups and it was Kopitar against Jurai Seidel. And it was fine in those minutes. Um, so, like, the the Oilers didn't get away from the matchup in game one. They didn't care. They just played their best players and let them be the best players. So that's the series to me that I'm like, okay, home ice matters a lot. Now I'm like, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it really doesn't. Maybe they switch Kopitar to McDavid and adjust that way tonight. But, like, I don't know. All the other series, I'm like, maybe it motivates teams to step it up a little bit more. No one, it's not like some huge red flag for me just yet. Sarah, to Shana's point, we talk about the postseason because everything goes out the window. No matter what you did in the regular season, it's do or die almost every game and sometimes almost every play. Do you have any theories on why the road teams found such success in these opening games? Well, it's interesting because I was talking to Taylor Hall yesterday and he said he was watching the Humble NBA. Brag. Yeah, yeah. Finally, insider. Finally back in the ring talking to players about stupid shit that doesn't matter, that has, <laughs> doesn't have to do with the game. But he said he was watching the NBA, so I was like, oh, do you have a favorite team? And he was like, probably the Raptors, but I don't really watch in the regular season. But he's noticed this season the NBA has a lot more parity, too, where teams on the road are also winning just like in the NHL. So he was like, you just have to be cognizant of these upsets and I guess it's just happening everywhere I don't really know why I, mean, it, I think it's way too early to try to make a theory about it and I think there's so many young new players that are making these playoffs right now like I think about the Devils but they were at home but still um they looked so jittery for a reason there's like eight players on the team or whatever it is making their debut so I think as players get more comfortable things will change a little bit See, this is why we love how you work. I mean, who else comes up with that kind of nugget? I'm dead serious. Like, that's so cool. That's awesome. I love it, that Yeah, story. it really is. It really well, is it awesome. cool of him. I really have appreciated the Bruins locker room. Like, it's a lot of well-seasoned guys who, when you ask a question, they really are just talking to you. And I appreciate it all for that answer. Well, you have to ask a good question to get a good answer. Oh, so always it's just, just saying, because we've all I seen do. the bad questions. There you go. Good job. All right, my friends, again, eight games. That's a lot to go through, and the Leafs commanded way too much of our time. So we, again, want to do things our way, which is a little different. And what we want to do is look at which series, after game one, knowing everything can be chaotic, look at the series as a whole and say, first, after game one, which series has their stock rising in your mind? What are you more interested in than you expected to be after that first game, tell us your stock rising series and why, Shayna. Um, it's going to be LA Edmonton. Uh, that my stock, the stock was already high for me for that one because it's a rematch of last year. The Oilers have finally made really good moves at the deadline and improved a ton. And then you have the Kings, who legitimately improved since the deadline too. And the Kings aren't even fully healthy yet. Um, the Oilers, the pace of the game for one 
loved it, right? Like, I think it was super exciting, super great to watch. The other part of it was where we expected the, the Oilers to be good, they were good. But it was a matter of discipline and things that you would think this shouldn't be hurting you. Um, I I was just like intrigued by it all. I want to see how this, you know, continues to unfold because the way the Oilers lost that 3-1 lead and the way the Kings battled back was really, really, really interesting for me. Um, and it wasn't the way, I, you know, the Kings couldn't contain them as well offensively as you would think they should have wanted to. Um, so I don't know. For me, I'm just, I, I really want to see where that series goes. Sarah? Which series are you more interested now today than you were two days ago? Yes, we all know I really did care about the Kings Oilers because I think the Kings are going to go on a run. But I would have to say the stars in the wild because you've got everything. You've got Mike Russo doing clapbacks, which is always much watched Twitter entertainment. You've got double overtime, which you got that in the Kings game too, but I, I just thought I expected that. And I was not expecting that here. I was expecting kind of like a, a one Oh snooze fest, I guess. And I was wrong. So watching that, I'm like keeping an eye on that at the same time. I do think we underestimated the wild, wild west to begin with, like just because it wasn't like as much of a bloodbath in the race to the playoffs didn't mean it wouldn't be now. Shout out to the wild, wild west indeed. And unfortunately Shane already told me which one I have to pick. And it is the same as you, Sarah. We all know. And Twitter called me out on it. You held me accountable. I didn't think that the Wild and the Stars were going to was going to be very exciting either. Um, but boy, was it. And now I am watching it out of a little bit of concern. Um, because again, I think that the Pavelski loss can be very, very significant. The other one, and I didn't get to see this game last night, so I think this might be why the stock is rising for me since I'll pick something different, is Jets in Vegas. I think the narrative of back to will over skill there, um, we all kind of thought Vegas was going to steamroll, and Winnipeg seems to have redeveloped the chip on their shoulder. So we'll see what comes of that matchup. Uh, we do have some breaking news just quickly I'll share to keep folks up. Breaking bit o news. Thank you, Shana. Would you like to share your breaking bit o news? Sure. So... In the spirit of how this affects the Leafs, the Leafs opponent, the Lightning, that's how they shall be referred to from now on, because while you play the Leafs, you belong to them. Um, Mikey Isamont and Eric Chernock are both out for game two. Victor Hedman is a game time decision, which is super interesting because he played six thirty five and nine shifts, nothing in the second or third period. And Tanner Janot is a possibility. I did not think. At all, he was going to be a possibility to return to this postseason when we saw that injury. We all shit on the Tanner Janot acquisition for good reason. The line of thinking for the Lightning of spend your picks, it doesn't matter to us now, makes absolutely a shit ton of sense. Those picks are not going to help this team extend their window. But when you start trading out, when you have a playoff window, that's a bad move. When you trade more assets for a player than they have goals, that's a bad move. But like we all, how many of us said it? Like we're going to forget about this being a bad trade when Tanner Janot scores the game winning goal in game six or game seven to clinch this series and really fuck the leaps. Well, guess what, friends? It's a possibility now. All right. Let's go back to our round one interest levels, our, our vibes o meter. Sarah, we talked about who we're more interested, interested in. Who are you less interested in after seeing their game one performances? Well, and here's the thing. I talked about the jitters before, and you could see that with all the young guys on the Devils, and you could see that with Vanacek. I did not like his performance, but I was less than impressed with the Devils when I thought this was going to be way closer in Devils-Rangers game one. So they're going to need a huge game two to re 
capture my interest because that's what it's all about. Dana, what's your pick for stock dropping in your interest level, your watchability meter, if you will? Yeah, Uh, the Devils Rangers are a good pick. I think you see the Devils inexperience there, like shake their confidence in the power play, I think is going to be like the topic to talk about there. Mm. Okay, so I don't, I like your points about Winnipeg, LA, so I'm, and Winnipeg, Vegas, so I'm going to take them off my list because that was the one game that I was the least entertained by. I'm going to say Islanders against the Canes. I love a good defensive battle. I like watching the Islanders play. I like the factor of this team that you know can go into the postseason and make some noise. It was not a very exciting game one. Like my eyes were on Boston, Florida for sure, a lot more because there was like, you know, sure more pop and exciting plays. But with the Islanders, I'm watching that power play and I'm legitimately cringing. And it's not just, oh, you're going up against the power kill that the Canes have. They looked terrible on the power play. The power play has been bad. The last time the Islanders and Canes played each other in the playoffs, I got to write about them a bit. And I got to do something about the Islanders power play. And I spent all this time watching video, like clawing my eyes out, going, why the fuck do I put myself in this situation to watch this shit? Um, So to be back there (laughs) watching a terrible power play, I know they're making adjustments, but it's just like, they have to find a way to create some sort of offense at five on five and on the power play. And that was not a good showing that the one goal was so lucky that they got. So um, hopefully that can, you know, turn up the heat a little bit. Yeah, I have to agree. I was so excited for the first games and, you know, even, even if the Islanders were Islandering, I was excited to see Carolina, as you said, kind of push through and break through and do some unique different things. And I was with all due, bored and once uh the boston game started even though that was far more one-sided to me we didn't even go back to islanders uh canes hardly at all other than watch the score it was just not grabbing my attention and so i'll watch it to start but uh then i'm flipping over to another game probably so maybe i'll have to say just say it's because of posternock's mullet yeah the the mullet is great and like for the Islanders Canes, like you don't expect a lot of like rush based play. It's just like not their style. These are teams that thrive off of the forecheck. Like that can be exciting to watch. And 100%. that's the thing too. Like some people are like, oh, you just hate defense. You just hate the Islanders style or whatever. Like it's not that. It was too low event. It was just, yes, there's, there's a way to play that. Look, it's not like the stars in the wild are the most high event team. I guess in that game, the wild had these big game saving plays that like caught your attention, like Brock Faber and Jonas Brodeen. Like they had that and this series just like didn't keep one. It just needs it. You need more. Oomph. Like that's it. That's it. I won't hold it against either of you that you didn't pick Kraken avalanche. So for your- I always so loved I that. You were going to go there. I, I have to I watch. Thought- I thought you were going to say that's the series to watch. So I didn't use them. And after I said the Oilers, I'm like, shit, she can't. Yeah. I'm like, you can't. That was that for me was a really good game and had my attention way more than the Jets. The star power versus depth is one of the most interesting storylines this entire postseason. I'm a broken record. I care about that. I want to see the devil's rush base play. I those are two things I'm like, I need I need to learn about the way that the Kraken had scores you wouldn't anticipate, right? It wasn't even their best players scoring goals. It shows their strength. And the way they did contain, they didn't stop, you know, McKinnon and Rantanen, but they contained them. Like, that's it. You, you look at players like Crosby and McDavid. You're not you're not stopping them. It's all about containing them. They did that enough that I was like, okay, like, all right, I want to see more. Like, I want to see where this series goes. How do the Avalanche adjust? We know they're one of the smartest teams. 
it is interesting. It's kind of like the uh, the analytics cup, right? Because those are two organizations yeah. I have mad respect for their analytics teams. Go ahead, Sarah. Allison, the Kraken have always been really good on the road this season. Why do you think that is? is yeah, it random. Yeah, it's so I don't know, to be honest, right? And if we ask the players, they say they don't know. But the only theory I have on this, and I've said it a couple times, um, I think I said it when I was talking to Jeff Merrick on his show is that because they are so deep and because the lines are, for all intents and purposes, equal in the sense that you never know which one is going to pop or produce in a game, the need to match lines isn't as big of a deal. So it's not so much like we have to put this line out to try and contain McKinnon or we have to put this line out to, to you know, stop whomever. Like, it still matters, of course. That is a thing, but it's less relevant um, and so maybe that's why I don't know though. That <laughs> is really logical. Like a yeah, really good that answer. is. <laughs> yeah. Who would we say since we love the crack in here? And yes. th- look, every series we can go through. Kirill Kaprizov, player to watch. Nathan McKinnon, player to watch. But the crack in you don't have that same situation. Yes. Like for me, Veneers. I'm watching Yanni. Maddie Vignier is our favorite. I, like I gotta say Yanni. Maddie Vignier, cousin of Cousins. <laughs> um like i love yanni gord i love how he plays in the playoffs i feel like he's he's small but mighty and i love that he can go against top competition and just disrupt them and piss them off like he's just someone that's hard to play against so for me like i'm watching him in the series who besides maddie beignet and yanni gord allison should we be watching okay so i have to tell you a phenomenal yanni gord story so he's obviously french canadian so every once in a while as does everyone who is speaking in a second language there's there's adorable little translations that he does. And so before the game yesterday at Morning Skate, someone asked him if because he's won two cups, if he shares his advice with his teammates. And he said, well, of course, if I was asked, I would share my experiences with joy, with joy. That's so OK. I thought it was adorable. He's cute. I know it's adorable. Um, that is adorable. <laughs> it's cute. I, it's just like glory for him. OK, he's a player to watch now. Yanni yeah, yeah. Gord is definitely uh, John Forsen has nicknamed him the pepper pot because he's so spicy. And like you said, just like a little. Oh, I love that. Energy. Um, I love his whole path to the NHL, too. Like, yeah, everything like this That's is great. someone I feel like the odds are always against him. And he's like, nah, fuck you. You know what? He's Gord. He's Gord at hockey. Get it? <laughs> Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> we need a clip of that. <laughs> um, no, I mean, people are going to say that this is me being a homer again, but I really think that Alex Weinberg is a huge part of what makes the team work because he's so strong defensively and so good at puck possession and playmaking. Um, and he had a goal last night, which is shocking because he's usually a playmaker and not a shooter. Um, but I think he's another one to watch too. He's really, and I think he could see a lot of the minutes against McKinnon he has in the past. So there's my other one. That's watch. the, that's a big, like centered up the winch champions. Like the, we picked out three fucking centers. Narrative, 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 the All revenge right. series narrative. That's not allowed either. Cause people are like, well, it's not like Grubauer left on bad terms. Like I, it doesn't fucking matter. He's playing his former team and he was excellent in game one. He played really well. He played really well. Yeah. Um, and he made a comment and I think it's important to talk about the familiar, which goes back to the home ice thing. And we don't have time to go back to that now, but the familiarity with the ice. It's not just fans and all that. It's knowing how pucks bounce off certain boards in the arena. It's knowing how the ice behaves, what quality it is, where the lights affect the ice. That was something Philip Grubauer mentioned too. And I think he has such a familiarity in ball arena as well. Um, But he played lights out. He was great. He was great. 
That, that's cool. That's that's a really cool point. I, I didn't think of it that way. Like you would think they know the arena, like they didn't stress like getting lost or something. But to know the lighting, like things like that, like that's really cool. They didn't get lost. <laughs> Listen, I know, I know, I know you two and the quest for maps and this oh, is a big deal. I know you quest mentioned for maps. it. Quest map for quest. map quest. Call it a map quest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get sued. I don't want to get a suit. We're already <laughs> teetering the line with the, how does that affect the leaf? So, you know, quest for maps. <laughs> All right, my friends. Amazing. <laughs> Let's end this episode as we always do. And that is with our favorite game. And that is Fuck, Mary Kill. We have again a very crack and heavy Fuck, Mary Kill. It's not our fault, though. We can't help it. Because our Fuck, Mary Kill is players' first ever NHL postseason goal. Sarah, you are going to go first. You get to Fuck, Mary Kill. Jack Hughes, who gets the lone score for the Devils in their game against the Rangers. Ellie Tolvanen, who gets the first goal in Kraken postseason history. Maybe the best waiver wire pickup ever and then you get morgan geeky who gets the insurance goal for the crack and his first postseason goal in his career history sarah fuck mary kill go i know i kind of want to marry them all because they're all pretty special in their own ways but i'm going to marry eli tolvin because of the waiver wire story right that's unreal and now i just love these moments that are etched into not only his own history forever because it's his first but crack in history he's it it did so many things with that goal on top of winning the game. So I'm going, well, like contributing to winning the game. So I'm going with marrying that. I am going to fuck Morgan Geeky because you can't out pizza the hut. You really can't. Maybe you can't. And I'm going to kill Jack Hughes. I did, I, like, I, I'm going back on forth in this because I think it's so important to not let Chesterkin get a shutout. And I think that was kind of a big boy goal at the rock, like, okay, I need to give the fans something to cheer about. And that's what a leader of a team does, but it simply was not good enough, but that's why I'm killing it. Dana, your turn. Okay. I'm going to kill Geeky's goal process of elimination. Sorry, friend. Um, I'm going to fuck the Hughes goal because he couldn't manage it at even strength. He couldn't manage it on the power play. You got it on a penalty shot one-on-one. That is not how the game is primarily played. So sorry, like do better, but I'm not completely killing it because I think that was a very important goal for his confidence level because with star players, with star players that are young, inexperienced, and now we're trying to play a style of play that typically doesn't work in the playoffs. I think any goals are going to bring some confidence. It's going to trickle into even strength play and make for a better series. So let's see the impact that has. And like you said, like getting into Shesterkin's head, getting out of his own head of not allowing a shutout and getting something going. Uh, So I'll give him that credit. And then I will marry the Tolvin and goal. Like, first of all, this is such a good reclamation project. This is the risk of giving up on a prospect too early. And it's so interesting because the second he was put on Seattle, even though it was on the third line, he had more support than he ever did in Nashville. You look at the way the Predators forward group is like how few players except for the first line and Roman Yossi can actually even like carry the puck into the zone. Like it's you need a driver somewhere because here's a player that's known for like the flash, the shot and not enough elsewhere. You give him a little bit of support in our friend Yanni Gord and, you know, players like that. And it's it's a completely different ball game. So it's all about maximizing a player and showing how it's done. So there's a good lesson to learn here that you bet on skilled players and more players should have jumped at him when he was on waivers. 
it is insane that the Kraken got him at wherever they were at the waiver wire line at that time. It's just ridiculous. But he's actually sneaky good defensively, and people just never gave him credit for that. Um, I am going. Or I don't to... know if he did. He have the chance to show that in Nashville? No, do you think? Yeah, he just wasn't getting deployed properly. Some would say. I didn't actually pay attention as much until he was part of the Kraken. So that's fair. That's what I seem to understand from those who did. Um, all right, I am going to. This is hard. I think I'm agreeing with Sarah in that I'm going to kill the Jack Hughes goal because it is important, but penalty shots, like Shayna said, not really a thing. So God bless, but no. Um, good for you, though. <laughs> gold, if gold, that was gold, a power sorry. play, just an actual power play, they probably would have done nothing with it. Yes. Um, I am going to... Uh, yeah, okay. I'm I'm going to marry the Tolvin and goal because it is such a historic moment. And I think it's a real testament to that line. And it came off the forecheck, which is what the Kraken wanted to do. And it's, you know, a postseason score for him and with his new team. It's just, it's a very exciting story. So I have to marry that. And I'm going to fuck the Morgan Geeky goal. I'm torn. I almost married it because Morgan Geeky was instrumental in what was the game-winning goal for by Alexander Wenberg, but he did not quote-unquote assist on it, so he doesn't get a point. So I was just really happy to see him get on the score sheet since that's what people often only have time to reference. So I was glad to see him get that, but because... It wasn't the first one and it wasn't the game winner. We'll, we'll fuck that as well. All right. We did it, my friends. Through the beginning of the chaos, throughout the rest of the chaos, we at Too Many Men are going to be here with you, giving you all of our takes in confident style like Sarah does as Dan Lebetard is mentoring us every day. Um, remember that if you want to follow us on other channels, we are on Instagram and Twitter at two underscore much man. Two underscore much underscore man. I'm on like on four hours of sleep because Shana yelled at me this morning for being up too early. You were up <laughs> at 7 a.m. your time and I was just getting out of bed like a little bit before you. Like, and I'm three hours ahead. Like, come on. You make me do. look bad. No. Yeah, no, so no. do I. But like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> anyway, follow us on the socials. Two underscore much underscore man. I'd like to give a shout out to listeners and friends of the pod, Ashley Church and her partner, James. They have actually gotten us a domain, my friends, for our merch. You can go to too many men merch.com and find all of our sweet, sweet sweatshirts, hats, burn books, watch bands, switch cases, and more coming soon in all of the lines of marketing that we love to do. As you all well know, we take those proceeds and we turn them around and invest them into people and purposes that are trying to make hockey a better, more inclusive space. And that is what we ask you to do as we leave you today, as we wish you a wonderful, happy, continued post-season. Please do something, no matter how big or small, to make sure that hockey truly is for everyone. We will talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.